to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, May 21st, 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And Diane Broadway stars James Marino. James, it's apparently really hot where you are and where I am. Two uh, condos, apartments over. Um, we had to call the fire department because uh, someone was installing an air conditioning. And they forgot that when you're soldering things really close to a sprinkler. Hmm. That can cause problems. So hot for both of us in very different ways. Uh, if you saw my Instagram or Twitter last night, you can see what was filming the uh, very loud and obnoxious fire alarm and uh, some some big old fire trucks came by. So it was an eventful evening down here in the uh, 407. Did you uh, get a ride on the fire truck? Uh, no, but they gave me a plastic hat and a lollipop. Oh, awesome. <laughs> All right, so first up in the news, Roundabout will bring Tennessee Williams's The Rose Tattoo to Broadway. Yeah, James, the Roundabout Theater Company finally announced the first show of its 2019-2020 season, and it will be a transfer of Tennessee Williams's The Rose Tattoo, which played at the Williamstown Theater Festival in 2016. I don't believe Williamstown was named for Tennessee Williams, by the way. Um, as it did at WTF, the show will star Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei as Serafina. She will re-team with the show's out-of-town director Trip Coleman on the revival. The play will run at the American Airlines Theater from September 19th through December 8th, barring any potential extensions. In the show, a widow rekindles her desire for love, lust, and life in the arms of a fiery suitor. When Tripp and Marissa did the show in Williamstown, it also starred Christopher Abbott as the aforementioned fiery suitor, along with Will Pullen, Lindsay Mendez, and more. Now, James, uh, just some dates to keep in mind here. Um, the Rose Tattoo is going to open on October 15th. And Trip Coleman is still supposedly directing the Magic Mike musical, which is supposed to open up at the Emerson Colonial Theater. Um, so that leaves him about two weeks because it's supposed to start playing in Boston on November 30th. So that theoretically would give him two weeks between the Rose Tattoos opening and the start of Magic Mike rehearsals. So make of that what you will. Um, but anyway, James, we've talked about how I think that there's going to be quite a few show announcements throughout the course of the summer, perhaps more than normal, just because of the way the calendar has fallen. Um, and I would guess that this is just the first of a few that we'll be getting between now and Tony Day and then probably a handful more between you know June 10th or 11th uh, and let's say Labor Day. Yeah, I am glad that you made that. I I. I saw the press release and things like that, but did not make the connection back to Magic Mike. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, why would you? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, Subculture announces a once-in-a-lifetime composer crossover concert. Yeah, this is a doozy here, James. Uh, and I hope someone somewhere films it. I am not a proponent of bootlegging shows, but this is a concert. So I think it's okay because on June 24th, Maestro's Jason Robert Brown and Stephen Joshua Sondheim will team up for a concert at the town hall. Now it's, if that's not enough, they are also going to be joined. These two Tony winning composers will be joined by Tony winner, 
Katrina Link. The trio will perform brand new arrangements of some of JRB and the GOAT's greatest hits. The concert is a special event to commemorate the 50th performance of Brown's Artist in Residence series at Subculture. Ironically, they are not actually doing it at Subculture. Uh, anyway, all the proceeds from the evening will be donated to Brady, the organization working to end gun violence in the country, obviously named for uh, uh, shooting victim uh, Matt Brady. Um, and tickets will go on sale today, Tuesday, May 21st at 12 p.m. New York time. You can get them uh, at thetownhall.com. Uh, of course, we have a link in the show notes. Now, James, uh, you are a an expert on all things interwebs. How long do you think it's going to take for these bad boys to sell out? Uh, I think that it'll probably sell out pretty quickly, although I've seen some sticker shock of uh, people uh, saying, wow, those are expensive tickets, but it is a fundraiser. Exactly. It's it's Stephen Sondheim doing a concert. Like, I honestly cannot think of a time yeah. when Stephen Sondheim has performed in a concert. And it's going towards a very noble and, and, and good charity. Um, I didn't look at the uh, the prices, to be honest with you. I didn't I didn't uh, realize the ticket prices were out there yet. So let me let me scroll over here on the town dot com. And it looks like the ticket prices. Uh, oh, that that's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Tickets start at one hundred sixty five dollars. Um, that's expensive, certainly, but not by far uh, as bad as I thought it was going to be. I want to point out that you said that Katrina Link was a Tony winner. Uh, yes. She is also a Grammy winner, and she's a uh, world Jesus. champion potato chip eater. And, and and now an Emmy winner as well for that ridiculous uh. daytime <laughs> stuff. Okay, so next up we have what happened in last week's Broadway grosses. All right, James, last week Broadway saw a 4.78% decline in the grosses based primarily on, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the fact that Morrissey's residency at the Lunt Fontaine ended. In total, The Great White Way pulled in $35,092,350 last week, and 17 of Broadway's 37 shows saw weekly totals in the red. Hamilton, top, over $3 million, rinse and repeat. Uh, this week's total was $3 million. I mean, I say literally yeah. some variation of the same thing in the second or third paragraph every week. Um, but anyway, this week's total was $3,223,611. It was followed by The Lion King at $2.1 Then we saw Wicked, To Kill a Mockingbird, Cursed Child, Ain't Too Proud, Aladdin, Tootsie, Dear Evan Hansen, Town, Frozen, The Book of Mormon, Phantom of the Opera, Network, and Seven Performances, and The Share Show, All in Seven Figures. The five lowest grossing shows last week were all plays, which is fairly normal, with Gary Cole in a sequel to Titus Andronicus taking a nearly $43,000 tumble down to below two hundred sixty-five dollars I am shocked, James. I know that this show is weird and it's avant-garde and it's difficult to get your mind around, but it's Nathan Lane, Christine Nielsen, and Julie White doing a comedy where there are fart jokes and genitalia humor on corpses. Like, how can you not pay to see? I'm I'm just shocked at that. Uh, anyway, moving up was Frankie and Johnny, which I actually think will 
pick up its grosses once it, the reviews come out, because I think the reviews are going to be fantastic, um, even though the show's a bit dated. Um, then you have Hillary and Clinton, Inc. and King Lear. Be More Chill was the first musical in six from the bottom spot, and it actually saw its first black total in a month but still came in at a paltry $432,000. King Kong continues to fall off its perch atop the Empire State Building, uh, bringing in its second lowest eight-show total at uh, just $36 short of $600K. While the total isn't much better for the prom than it is for King Kong, the circumstances are quite a bit better. The Tony-nominated musical brought in almost $628,000, but it's actually the, the show's second best eight show week compared to King Kong's second worst eight show week. So I guess that's good for the prom that things are at least moving in the right direction, just not nearly as quickly as many would like. There's a bunch of other middling shows, James, with six other musicals between 630,000 and 792,000. Oklahoma on the low end, then Waitress, Beautiful, Kiss Me Kate, My Fair Lady, and Pretty Woman. As I said last week, I could see a lot of these musicals closing uh Maybe between, obviously, we've got My Fair Lady closing on July 7th. Between then, then Labor Day, and then announcing sometime here in the next few months to close after the first of the year. Uh, again, I, I was shocked that the My Fair Lady announcement came that quickly. Um, and I don't expect necessarily any others to announce before the Tony dates. But I could see things like King Kong and and The Prom, unfortunately, and maybe be more chill uh, announcing closing the Monday or Tuesday after the Tonys uh, at the very latest. Uh, prom's got a pretty good, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Celebrities, celebrities showing up at the prom and, and, yes. and talking about it and things like that. Wow. English. I should really try it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping that the prom really starts to, uh, uh, you know, get a second wind here. Uh, let's see what happens. You know, what do you think that the, they will, they're going to do for a number at the Tonys? It... Um, I'm not sure. They, they are actually performing on Monday night on Colbert. So it's, uh-huh. we were recording before Colbert. They're doing Unruly Heart, I believe, uh, on Colbert. I would imagine they'll end up doing some sort of, of mashup medley on the Tonys because there's very few songs that highlight the teenage characters and the yeah. Broadway star characters. So I'd imagine they'll want to do something that highlights um, all of them, especially considering they have people from both demographics within their show nominated. So I, I would think that they would want to do something to, to highlight a little bit of everybody. That'd be my guess. I don't recall because I don't listen to today on Broadway, but um, uh, is, is, has the prom announced a national tour? It has not, as far as I can think of off the top of my head. It has announced that Ryan Murphy is going to be doing a film adaptation for Netflix. Oh, that's right. All right. So uh, let's recap some recent off-Broadway openings. Yeah, we haven't really done a lot of review roundups here recently because of the Broadway season ending. But I did want to hit a couple of these. First, the Signature Theater premiered the new world premiere chamber choir musical by Dave Malloy called Octet. It's directed by Annie Tippy, and the reviews we're pretty fantastic. The show is currently set to run through June 30th. Um, and Ben Brantley of the New York times made the show a critics pick writing quote, Mr. Malloy's score makes fractured thought audible. What's captured in these voices is how we feel seduced, exhilarated, lost and dirty. Every time we turn on our computers or smartphones and fall into a time devouring wormhole, 
The varieties of this experience, recreational, informational, social, sexual, political, often blur the lines between hedonism and masochism. The forms of such pursuits are parsed and absorbed as the characters, bristling with individuality and universality, take turns describing their particular addictions. Now, Oftentimes, when Ben Brantley loves something, our favorite critic, Sarah Holdren, does not. However, in this case, the vulture critic agrees and and raves about it in her review. She said, quote, Octet is that rare and thrilling thing, a new musical that really does feel new. Formally, it's both unique and invigorating, and it's rigorous and straightforward enough in its structure for its ideas to spiral into rich dense fractals in the face of a virtual world where quote there's no coming back no rehabilitation no nuance just noise it makes a bravely unequivocal yet generous stand it sings of darkness blindness and fear but it sings also of complexity connection redemption and hope now james we when they finally released the plot description for this show we giggled at the fact that we have no idea what it means Uh, but it sounds like but from both of these critics they pulled it off again let me read you that description featuring a score for an acapella chamber choir in in an original libretto inspired by internet comment boards scientific debates religious text and sophie poetry octet explores addiction and nihilism within the messy context of 21st century technology Again, no idea what that means. And really reading the reviews, I don't think I know much better, but it sounds like at least whatever they're doing is working well, at least for these two critics. Uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say sometimes uh, it's really hard to capture a show in a synopsis. You know, uh, we, we joke about it all the time. Uh, let's see, hip hop musical about a founding father and yeah. the birth of a nation. You know, oh, that that's never that's a fringe show. It's never going to work. Yeah, and yeah, it did. Yeah, and it's in the second paragraph of Very Grosses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. Mac. Okay. Yes. Yes. The other show I want to talk about is Macbeth. Two words, respect the space. It's like show, boat, master class, mm-hmm. Macbeth. Uh, this comes from the Red Bull Theater and it's currently playing at the Lucille Lortel Theater. It is uh, obviously an adaption of William Shakespeare's Scottish play by uh, Erica Schmidt, who also did the direction. Let's start with Sarah Holdren again. And unfortunately, she did not have the same nice things to say about this one as she did Octet, although she didn't hate it completely. She said, quote, in director and adapter Erica Schmidt's new rendition of the Scottish play here, the title is broken up into Macbeth. The stage is a, is a wash in concept, but the real visceral stakes of the story at hand can be neither seen nor felt. Schmidt's Macbeth feels like a gilded picture frame with no picture in it. It's eye catching, sometimes even tantalizing, but there's a big old donut hole in the middle. Now, I, I'm not going to get broken down into the linguistics of using the term donut hole because in many parts of the world donut hole is the actual thing the the substantive little nugget of donut that people eat but tim bits if you will uh, but anyway it sounds like uh, otherwise you can understand what sarah was saying david cody from the observer said quote 
The playing of the lead roles is generally appealing, but uneven. Isabel Furman's Macbeth, The Heaviest Lift, lift is a valiant attempt on a part that's, that's hard going no matter what age or gender. Furman can let her eyes go dead, and she flattens her tone without losing too much meaning in the verse, and she grows into the bleakness of the tyrant as the show goes on. Ismenia Mendez stays within gender lines as Lady Macbeth, and her line, unsex me here, resonates with menstrual rage as she digs into her knapsack and tosses a handful of tampons into the grass. In terms of lyrical agility and richness of character, Mendez is the strongest presence on stage. I'd love to see her Lady M in a less circumscribed production one day. Again, as we've talked about before, this is a uh, an adaptation of the show in which seven girls meet up in, a, in an empty school lot uh, on an autumn afternoon to do Macbeth. Um, so it's definitely a, a different incarnation of the show here. There are multiple Macbeths currently playing in New York, but it sounds like this one definitely has a, the most unique approach, but maybe not the best execution, James. Okay, what do we have in other news? Okay, as promised yesterday, we have the winner f- winners from Sunday night's Cheetah Rivera Awards. For the category of Outstanding Choreography in a Broadway Show, the winner is David Newman for Hadestown. Another kind of an upset there. Outstanding Male Dancer in a Broadway Show went to Ephraim Sykes for Ain't Too Proud. Outstanding Female Dancer in a Broadway Show was a tie between the Cher Show's Ashley Blair Fitzgerald, who plays the Dark Lady, and Oklahoma's Gabrielle Hamilton, does the weird extraterrestrial uh, dream ballet um, outstanding ensemble on a Broadway show. James, if I thought David Newman from Hadestown winning best choreography was an upset, this is the upset of the Tony season. As far as I'm concerned, outstanding ensemble on a Broadway show went to King Kong. And you know what, James, I am not mad about it. I, I actually, if you go back and listen to what I said after the mm-hmm. show, I thought yeah. the ensemble was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So um, really happy for them. Moving off Broadway, Outstanding Choreography went to Rick and Jeff Kupperman for Alice by Heart. Similarly, Outstanding Male Dancer went to Wesley Taylor from Alice by Heart. Outstanding Female Dancer uh, off Broadway went to Irina Dvorovinko from The Beast in the Jungle. And Outstanding Ensemble went to Smokey Joe's Cafe. Um, moving over to the film categories real quick, the uh, best choreography in a film went to Mary Poppins Returns from Rob Marshall and John DeLuca. Sticking with the awards, James, um, on tomorrow's episode, we'll have all of the winners from Monday night's Obie Awards, which are currently ongoing as we're recording. Next up, yesterday, the New York Times reported that Whitney Houston's estate has sold 50% of its assets to a company called Primary Wave, including the late star's name and likeness. Also, Primary Wave is in talks with Broadway producers about a potential musical and Vegas-style spectacular. Um, James, we saw The Bodyguard already, which used a lot of Whitney Houston music, and despite playing in London and national tour here never came to Broadway and never got great reviews. So I have my doubts about if this will ever happen or whatever, but we will see. And finally, James, this is an interesting one. And I don't remember if you sent this to me or not, but last week it was reported that a new immersive theater experience called particle Inc had signed a 10 year deal for a four story 13,500 foot space in Hell's Kitchen on 9th Avenue between 51st and 52nd Streets. The building will shortly begin going uh, undergoing construction for a six to nine month process before an opening date can be finalized. Um, but this is a really interesting thing, James. It's 
a definitely still within you know the area of the theater district um it, but it's going to be a full force four story experience similar to things um down at the mckeetrick hotel which is not uh close to the theater district so if they can get an interesting property and content and show uh and whatever this particle ink is uh i think this could do really really well and uh be kind of an interesting new experience uh in the new york theater community that's some expensive expensive real estate yes um it, it the asking rent for the entire building, um, then this was before the Particle Inc. actually got it, was $1.2 million a year. No um, official confirmation on what their actual rent is, um, but maybe they were able to get a, a, a lower price because they agreed to a, a decade-long deal. I, I don't know, but uh, it definitely ain't going to be cheap. That's the weird thing about uh, New York City real estate you would think that that would be cheaper for a 10-year deal. I bet you that they got more than $12 million for the 10, million, 10, 10 years. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Wow. We should get Rocky back on. <laughs> Who? <laughs> you know, Oliver Henry Roth. So. Oh, I don't think All right. So, uh, oh, we're at the end of the script. Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow. 